0: ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Powersports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp With an upgraded vein and seal system. Go check it out today at www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619 661 0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talks hey. Welcome to another episode of ATV Talk. I have a rare, rare opportunity to speak to Richard Cole and Stuart Walker. They both are over from the UK. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming over. You're welcome. You. Uh,
1: Richard, um, tell us uh, what your qualifications are to be on the show. Old fucks. No, no, with all seriousness, Richie. No. Um, You've been racing ATVs for a long,
0: long time Um, before there was a a European championship. Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Ah, I think I came out to America in um, 89 and um, met yourselves and Lauren. And started using your products then. Went back to England, spread the word a bit. And that opened up the relationship with yourselves and the ATV world. And then we um, carried on with a bunch of years at Ponderville. And I went on to win European Supermoto Championship, um, British Championship, um, on the four-stroke quad. And... Other international races, but went on to, to run the KDM team in Europe. Um, so I've been on the for a long time now. Well, you raced the LA Coliseum. That's right. I've got a picture on my phone a reminder of the day. You know whose machine you were, you know whose machine you were riding that day. You? Yeah, yours. And he was riding my 250R. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's spooky, right? Because this morning on on Facebook. I got a
0: Facebook reminder of that day. Of that day, and you, me, and you. Oh wow, that is crazy! And we're sitting here taping an episode. Uh, Half the size and little no gray hair. Wow, you were skinny. I'm you. Well, I was a kid then. <laughs> I'm not as old as you, nearly. <laughs> You no, know, all fun and aside, uh, most of the people are gonna listen to this and think that all we do is is rib on each other, but you have to have been around back in those days to understand, you know, we've been doing this for, you know, 40 years. That was that are you sure that was 89?
1: I started on the quads in the back end of 87. Won my first um, championship in 88 right? on a stock right. bike
0: was it, it was much smaller
1: in Europe you guys no, didn't have the same was, amount of product no but if, if you wanted a good bike then you had to be using American product because in Europe there was no development of aftermarket parts at, the, at that time so if you didn't want a stock bike then you had to come to America that's what I did do as you came over and, yep. and and found us and, and uh, got some parts. Yep. Stuart, how did it all start for you? Similar timing. It was September 87, I think. I ended up with a 250 Suzuki. You were on Suzuki as well then, weren't you? And, uh, yeah, never really looked back. It kind of filled all the weekends and met people from all around the world from it. How long before you came over to the States? Oh, a long, long time. Um I'd been over to the States family wise, but never really encompassed much on the quad side really. Um, we met up with things to buy product to bring back and everything else, but unlike Richard who got the ability to race out here, that was a little bit more difficult for me. I had a young family as well. You know, at about the time at or on around the time that we started racing anyway, so it was always a balance of scales. Right because you have uh older children than Harry well, and Alfie yeah yeah i have my daughter's 29 and the son's george is 27 harry 23 and then young alfie friday night child yeah <laughs> was was alfie an accident ah a good accident yeah yeah that's awesome that's yeah. awesome um you also just became a grandfather too didn't you? i have indeed, yeah my daughter's just giving birth to a beautiful young baby called Lottie. So we're all very excited about that as well. So, well, yeah. congratulations. Thank That's you. The fact that
0: we all sat in Pondé back in the 90s mm. when we were still non-grey hair <laughs> and, and, and younger, and now we're sitting here and we have grandchildren, and it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing the, the, the way the circle
1: goes around. I think it's a testament in time that you can just, you know, the competitiveness always generates an element of friction, but it it inspires a terrific amount of respect as well. And I think that's what one can take from this ATV world scenario. And I say world, not in the name of the, Company, but you know we've just established today. Out, you know, you meet people that through modern ways of technology, you 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 they know about your life, you know about their life, you've got common interests, and all of a sudden you've developed a friendship so much quicker than you probably would do back in the day when we were out competing.
0: Well, yeah, when we were doing it, you had to meet people at the track. Yeah, you know, and they'd call
1: you on the phone, and you would talk. I mean, we're talking pre-email. Mm you know fax machines and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and telephone calls yeah and sending a letter calls. with a stamp on it hey yeah, yeah. i remember getting them from over in Europe and all over the world. Yeah. You don't get any letters anymore. Occasionally you get them, but not, not like you used to. I'm still pals with a young lad. Well, he was a young lad then. And we, we lent him a little Suzuki 80 back in the late 80s. I would have thought he was about eight years old. Um, these guys didn't even exist. And I'm still in contact with him now. But he, yeah, he would write to you. You know, you'd sign a shirt and give him a shirt at the end of the race. And, you know, now he'll send you a digital picture of this. Thing that you gave him as a gift you know and, and he's a 40, 35, 40 year old guy with a you know as a vice executive chairman for a big oil company and shooting around the world and it's just they're the things that it gives you. Yeah and, and you and you still get to talk to those. Yeah, people. yeah. You know uh, it,
0: it's pretty amazing. Um, was rendezvous always something that you guys desired to do, or was that something that came later on in your
1: racing career? I was the first Brit, yeah, to go to Ponderville, and, um, well, I just found out about the race by mistake, and at that time, I, I would go and ride anywhere and do any discipline, whether it was to cross beach racing, so I went to Ponderville, and, um, we we did it the first year on the NLC five hundred. And then um what, do you remember what year that was? Eighty nine, I think. Same year that you came over. Yeah. And I came over I came when I came over here, I brought pictures of one of and I went to see Dennis Cox at Dirt Wheels and I told him all about the race and everything like that and he ran a feature on European bikes and on the Ville, and that was the start of a lot more English going. We, we did it the following year, didn't The following year, yeah, yeah. Were you guys <clears throat> teamed up at that point, or were you racing against each other? Against each other, but you introduced it. Richard introduced it to the English, and yeah, we put a team together. In fact, the first year I did it, I'd done it. Um, on a converted trike, there was a. The trikes were being converted back in the day by an Tri-Z. English by an English company. Brands back in New the, there was a warehouse full of tri Z somewhere, and this guy refresh my memory. Auto quad, auto quad. So you could buy a quad that was built ready to go, but it was built from a two fifty YZ trike. Really, do you, yeah. Do you know anybody who still has those? I still like to own one. Yeah, a Mason. Yeah, has a, has a couple. Really, I'd love to see photos of that. Because nobody turned the one into a quad over here. Did they not? No. Oh, there was two or three firms, and I I converted one for a a lad who's still a pal of mine now, um, Simon Lawrence, and I welded the front end on it. You could buy it as a kit or you could buy it as a finished article. And they came from the motorsport heritage, so they were good at bending tubes and geometry. And in all fairness, it wasn't a bad thing in its day. Well, yeah, but we're we're going from when most of us raced stock arms with stock shocks for yeah. years before you know O-leans were the thing to put on your machine. Yeah, you know, I won a at Winchester um, Paddy Thorne's championship, which was like a British championship. and I won the meeting on on one of them. On an all on yeah. Yeah. yeah, really. Oh, I think we we put it on seventh or eighth at Pont de Vue in the first year. There, top ten, nice, yeah, yeah, top ten. It was a big run. I know that we didn't go over until I believe ninety two was the first year that we went over. Yeah, I think it was Mark hey. Earhart and um, I don't remember. It was still, yeah, it was Doug? Yeah, Earhart and Doug. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, I I rode as well on a Duncan bunch that year. And the first year they did it, they did it on a 250R, mm-hmm. and they filled the radiator with full of mud, going in from the night session to the final or something like that. I don't remember all the details. I just know they they weren't happy. I mean, when had the the lead going into the last hour, and the, um, the CDI box the, the rubber popped off, the CDI box was banging about half an hour ago, I stopped. Ugh. And that was because Doug and um, Mark had had their problem as well. We, we inherited the lead, and they had their problem. And then you guys had a problem at the same time. Yeah. Wow, what a bad way to start, <laughs> you know, to, to, to be leading and drop two. You know. There's a thousand stories about that job at Honda and The biggest word is it <laughs> Well, you've also guys in the group have had massive success as mm. well. Well I mean before we did Pomde we on the with the Duncan team. We did Skiving and Beach race on the L T five hundreds. Which race was that? Skaving Veronica Beach Race. Veronica Beach Race? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was big for a while too. Yeah. No. Did they? Do they still do that, or did they? No. No. Um, the guy who used to run it, um, a person called Bob Dion. He worked for um, a Dutch TV company, and um, he was very superstitious, and he wouldn't run a 13th beach race. But just um, sort of, So sort so ran 12, ran 12, and then they went hook and horn and the ran one there but it wasn't it wasn't the same for spectators or anything like that it was so we just called it a day uh-huh, because they could because he wouldn't go back and run it in the yeah. other ways we started running something similar with the, the motocross bikes now but it's like a red bull race but it's nothing to do with Bob Dion and they won't do anything with the ATVs mm-hmm. Well, is it the same over in Europe that it is here that the motorcycle guys frown upon the ATVs until they get on one and realize they can't ride it? (laughs) Well, yeah, there's a a lot that have come across and attempted to, and there's not so many that have stuck at it. But yeah, they do frown upon it, and they frown upon it, but all the track owners do as well. And we're experiencing that here this time, first time ever, really. A lot of the track owners don't really want you there. They don't like the way it pushes the track out, although... Some of them love it because it gives them a brilliant burn to be able to get on to earlier, and they can develop one themselves. And, and others, you know, we found it this on this occasion that we've been very much more um, finding it difficult for places to write. Hence, we've been out to more of a private place today. Yeah, it, it, it is more difficult. Um, one portion of it is the numbers. Mm, you can yeah. never get the ATV guys together to go practice in the in the amount that you have the, the motorcycle guys. Yeah. They don't wanna mix it and if they haven't got six or eight on the track it's just not fine to be viable, I suppose. Yeah, that's yeah. totally it's dollar driven. Yeah. And I totally get it. You have to mm. make sure that it's economically feasible for everybody or you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Richard, are you still involved in building teams and working with riders? Not with teams, but still work with um, some riders, not just quad riders, but with a couple of solo riders as well. Um, but team wise, there is no teams anymore in Europe, and this is, I think, why quads have declined a little bit in Europe. Is because there's not new bikes available other than Yamaha. Um, I was involved with the KTM, and um, They've stopped producing to concentrate more on um, electric, electric bikes um, due to the fact that they'd be able to sell more volume across the world rather than a um, small amount of ATVs. Do you think that if a manufacturer came back, let's say it is KTM, God help us, um and they came back with an ATV. They would come back with three ATVs because you'd have a KTM, a Husky, and a Gas Gas. Mm-hmm. So they would do the same thing they did to the motorcycles. And they, I think, they would. If it's a if it's a decent machine, it would ignite a fire in the ATV boys. Yeah, it, it would be right. It would, um, but I don't think they'd be able to sell the volumes of. It's EVs of what they want. Um, Electrical stuff. Is electric stuff over there that big? It's it's coming. Everyone's saying that by 2030, Honda aren't going to have a combustible engine. I just can't see that happening because you're never going to make those electric bikes as fast and as good. I think you are. Um, Okay, I I may eat my words. but. it didn't make an ATV that good. Well we we seen somebody in Italy, um, Monte Bellini, his father, built an electric quad. And at the time he had a really, really trick Honda with a lot of carbon fiber parts on it. And his father built this electric one and his lap times were less than a second difference. How much how much battery charge time did it for how much race time did you get? It had enough battery time for, for 15 minutes. The weight was, was really, really heavy, but the speed of the thing and out of the corners and it just drove was, was phenomenal. Well, straight-ahead drive on an electric vehicle would be, would be awesome. It's like the difference between going from the two-stroke to the four-stroke. Yeah. But just the overall weight and the fact that in your endurance racing, you couldn't do it. No, because it's just not going to. The battery's not going to live. Yeah. you know. I mean, are the electric cars? You know, I know F one has a gas powered engine with an electric deal. I don't exactly know how the correlation works in, in, in how those cars go, but you know, they go over two hundred miles an hour. You think of the technology right now. You've got we've got an e racing, which is basically Formula One, but it's all driven in streets. We've got the hybrid version of the F1 cars, but you've only got to look at what they've just done out in the Dakar now with Audi. What did they do? Because I didn't hear about it. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable! They won stages, you know. Yeah. They've won you know, stages electric in electric yeah. cars in the Dakar. Now it's relative to the brand and the investment, but ultimately it's got to come. It will end up coming in everything. So even we, you know, they might see us out, but these guys are going to. After to adapt well this is a, a, a open-ended question do you believe that it's the answer that they're looking for because is electric that much better because i know it's not any better for the environment that lithium battery is just horrible I totally agree with you i totally agree and, it's just, and you're never going to get away from the oil production because oil you, you need oil to make everything yeah you know, you need oil to make the tires. You need oil to make all the pieces, you know. You need oil to lubricate everything as it's, as it's being used. We just had the first round of the World Rally Championship, the WRC. And they've they've gone now to, like, the hybrid cars. So they're going to force it, whether whether it's feasible or not. They're going to force it. Let's get back onto the ATV trail. <laughs> I think it will be a long, long time <laughs> before we see it spoiling. spoiling our sport. Well, let's hope so, because yeah. I'm I I'm intrigued, but I don't. Mm. I don't want to go that road. No. I mean, I know Tesla's got a quad, um, and it just looks like a tank. Yeah, it is you know, batteries have been around for a long time. If you play golf. Yeah? yeah, so let it, just leave it. Yeah, leave it for in the, the, the golfers. Golf yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So, Stuart, you've been on
1: multiple Pondevoo Banshee teams. Yeah. Uh, when you were racing the Band-A- Banshee in Pondevoo was that by far the funnest thing that you've done on a Banshee? Oh, yeah. I, I Yeah, I've gone from like we spoke earlier, the little 250 Tri-Z conversion into the Suzuki's and then I'm just trying to think when it would have been mid-90s, 94, 5, when we stepped up to the Banshee's. Uh, oh yeah, I don't I think don't, there's anything anybody would, if they'd driven a Banshee around Pondervoo, that circuit was designed with those bikes in mind ultimately. And uh, yeah, there's, there's no, there's, no um, there's nothing that sounds will give you that exhilaration like it does. I mean I've done twenty visits there in the thirty odd years that it's run, twenty rides there. I've visited it more these guys that I haven't ridden, um running them and their teams and other teams. But um yeah, I've I've probably done it out of the twenty fifteen, thirteen probably times and it's been on a banshee. So yeah, so yeah, they're awesome. With the high speed that a banshee can run. Mm-hmm. Is it still competitive? Oh, wow, that's a burning question. You tried it, huh? We but, tried but we prepared. tried it. But but did you try it at the same level? No, we uh, weren't at the same level as the other people. But Richard and Paul Wimmer and myself rode a bounty that Richard prepared that we put out there. What year was that? Was it year last year or is it? I was. Eight. How old were you? Eight. Eight. So it's been 11, eleven years ago. Eleven years ago, yeah. Okay, okay. So it had some older guys on it, and you know, and what was, place did, did you guys run in the top ten? No, no. We where you lost out was the, the drive out the corners. Mm. Top speed was was fine, but the the force just put the power to the floor, by the out the corners and really drove where banshee. You spin it up a lot. Is there any way to run a different style tire, based on change the power band a little bit to to make that magic well, look better? Because I mean, we have new technology and new suspension mods for them nowadays. Now that we didn't have then, so you can make some modifications and change it. I think what's happened over the years with with, with the Banshee scenario. And then the four strokes coming into it on the fact that the four strokes dig holes, yeah, coming out of those corners that banshees didn't. We used to drift. We could do a whole upon the on a set of slits. yeah, back in the day. You might put a change in if you had time to, but you could run from the beginning of that 12 hours on a set of gold speed little skinny ones and you could finish that race on one set of tires. What's happened now is is they run buggies there. They run another four hours on that track. They, so that track isn't the same as it was when we were doing the back in the day stuff. But we would get it nice and blue groove and then be able to do it yeah. to, to, to drive. It's, 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 a, it's, what it's a churned up. We've never gone there where they dug you know, five or six inches out the track and it's graded all the way through It's a completely different animal now than it was and, and you move with the times and that, right. you know, they know what the preparation they need for what they've got going on there, but it does dig out deep And that's, that changes the whole setup and everything. Oh, you it changes the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I didn't ask the, the boys when I got to talk to them, do you guys use any type of tire inserts or anything like that over there? We tend not to because you you can actually change See, the problem with the tyre inserts is balance so at the speed that we're doing there. That's the fastest you'll ever go in a motocross environment, isn't it? Like you were saying earlier, 80, 90 mile an hour down that straight. So unless you have terrifically balanced you know, inflation devices in your tyres, you, we tried it once and in the air it just shook the bike to pieces. So unless you can balance that, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do with carbons or, or mooses or, you know, foams or whatever, the foams move. But the thing is, if, if you have that issue, you have enough time to be able to come back in. You've got to change it anyway. You come back in. It's, it's different to doing like a Baja or, or an endurance event where you need that to do another 50 miles and it needs to get you home. But I don't think it's, it's the weapon to use at of Not for us. I have tried it and, and we just found that the vibration is just too much. Yeah, because it, it does change your traction. Yeah. It does change the, the tire patch on the ground. Yeah. So it would extend the life of the tire um, I do know that it would do that because it does it here. You know, you got guys that are, will run a set of tires one race and then you will know, get done and they look brand new mm. and you go race another race. Some of it has to do with the dirt that you ride in, but the inserts do extend the life of the tire and, and allow you to get away with things. I know that it's evolved in the last few years, but the high speeds and the heat yeah. probably deteriorate the inserts. Yeah. Yeah. I know we tried to use them in the car before we had any testing done, and uh, Sonic thought it was the needles that were popping the balls, and it wasn't. When you get the balls out, they were melted. Mm. Well, they were melted because we didn't run enough lube and we didn't run enough air. Yeah. So you have to run more pressure in the ball to offset the heat, you know? Well, when we were that same thing that if a ball went and the that started moving around, mm-hmm. then you ended up with the vibration issues. Yeah. Right. Especially on the, on the liaison between, on the main road. Heat. The heat. Yeah. So we, we used to pull him in and switch him on to, um super motor tires. Yep. And let him run the distance on the road on the on a tarmac tire. Yep. We didn't, we just ran air, air knobbies, uh, when we would do it. It's just, swap it out with a set of nobbies with no balls in there and and uh, that would get him to the liaison, do the on that way. If you could stop at a specific event, not every place were you allowed to change. Yes. Uh, it had to be, I guess, I think they had green zones where you could work on them. Yeah. It was mainly as soon as he got from the, the finish and onto the public roads, right. then you could pull him into a, a petrol station all the way behind and switch him. Right. That's. It. Did you ever get to do the car? No. You never got no. to go over there? No. Ever have any desire to do anything like that? Yeah, when my daughter was, I know I had two kids at the time and I went to um, the oil appraisal of coming and doing it. So they were going to you know, give you the spread because how do you begin to learn to do it? You know, unless you had that experience, so I went to Oxford and uh, went to uh, Hugo old sort of presentation about what, how you can do it and what you can do it, and you know, it's big bucks. One, it, it, it it's big bucks. to I like, had two young children back at home, and I think at those at that time when it was the Paris to Dakar, that was a fairly mean feat for you know. Mediumly young guy with his own expense account and children at home to be able to go out and do it. So I kind of just ditched the idea, but I would have liked to have done it. I must admit it was one that slipped away really. Well, for the bike guys, it's awesome because you can take your motorcycle to a specific company. They'll prep it for you. And then on the ride or on the race, you'll start and then you just ride to that truck in the bivouac. Yeah. They prep your bike. You get in your tent, do whatever you got to do. Get up in the morning, get on your bike and go ride. It's, yeah. And you have to pay a fee for that. Oh, it was a big enough fee because how it worked when we when we looked at it and it, it might be the same, it might change, but you know, you, you paid a fee for a for cubic amount of space on one of the vans, you know, the trucks. Yep. And uh, if your van, if your, if your quad broke beyond any kind of form of repair, uh, you leave it there there's no infrastructure in place to be able to kind of get it brought back home for you. That was then. Now- back in the day. Yeah. So you left it there. You know, it was left in the desert. You then jump in with the truck guys or somebody that will give you a lift to the next beer or wax. Bye bye. We're not taking you in the hole of the loop there. We get you to the next town that we might get close to and you're on your own because you're not, you've not got to the end. So you need to organize internal flights, external flights, Right. Beyond, so I mean, it's it's pretty. Unless you've got a fairly good team behind you, back in the day, it was a, quite a big big ask. And 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 when it was in Africa, yes, yeah. that was freaking gnarly. Because some of the things they went, well, through. Sure someone was shot. Yeah, yeah. I think that was about two years after I was sort of considering, do we end up doing it or something? Well, they had gunships, there. yeah, to protect you, yeah. Yeah. full blown helicopters with, hmm. with armed guards that, you know, when you push the button, they, they were there within, you know, three to five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, doesn't, doesn't take that long to die. eh No, it doesn't. <laughs> <but> that's crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, one of the, my, well, I'll tell this little story and we'll go on. Yeah. A buddy of mine was there in one of the big trucks, uh dry racing the big truck and they got off course and they stopped at this hole in the wall gas station whatever out in the middle of nowhere they said and they
0: bought a soda and their speaker inside the truck started freaking out where are you why are you not on course whatever you do get back
1: in your vehicle and keep moving immediately So there were, they were tracking them yeah. and someone was tracking them oh, yeah. and it was going to get ugly. Mm. So crazy stuff happens out there. I'm glad that South America was never like that. No, no, it was good. Oh, it was fun. It was awesome. You know, good people, good food. You know, you didn't have to sleep on the, you didn't have to sleep on the floor in the dirt. You know, you did get it uh, after the first year, you know, you got to go and it was good, uh, uh, I didn't. we had to sleep on the floor. Uh, well, Raphael was notorious for making sure he had a hotel, and everybody oh, else yeah. got to sleep in a tent. But you know, that's that's what you did, you know. I mean, it, it's unbelievable the amount of things that we've got to go do. You know, you guys have traveled all over Europe to race ATVs. Yeah, we got it. You probably didn't mention it with um, Harry, but we've done two years of the European Championship with Harry and you know that was your a, a, Richard sort of introduced us to it and said, Look, you know, you wanna get there and be somewhere near the best, you've got to go out and race with the best and um, the Europeans need to seriously be recognized now. You know, there's some damn good riders out there. And how many different countries are there that race that series? Oh, cracking. I mean uh, Eastern Europeans, you've got um, Latvia, Ukraine. Estonia, Ukraine, um, Czechs, Cor- Poland, Denmark. Polish, and then you go Denmark, Holland, Swedish, Swedish, you know, there's there's a lot of Europeans now, and it's interesting how big their little cod bubble might well be. Hmm. But there's a lot that are still at speed that make you raise your eyebrows and you need to sharpen your pencil to be as good if not better than them. It it runs on the back of the um, World Sidecar Championship, which you guys call Um, Sidehacks. Which is big in Europe. It's big and big spectators. And you go to these countries that we just mentioned there and the facilities and the tracks are, are out of this world. Far better than what we've got back on, mm. Like um, brick-built commentary towers, showers, jet-washing beers—just everything. Like really, the facilities are, are second to none. And how many races are those a year? Well, first year it was about eight, and it's probably been bubbling around seven or six now. Um, but it's a great format. It's a terrific format. You get thousands of spectators, not, not hundreds. You get and, so, and, and how well does Harry do in that? Harry comes third on the two years, both two years that we've done it. So he podium. if my memory serves me right, in France, which was the second round that we went to. He podium with the likes of Montagnin, people like that. Um, at the second race that we went to, no, he's strong. Yeah, very strong and more respected in Europe. And are you guys going to go back and do it this year? If 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 the travelling is easy enough to be able to do, then then we intend to try and do it. The problem is we want to do it with two of them. It kind of doubles everything—the size of what we could take, or we don't have a spare bike for one of them, and we, we've got a rig that takes two. And, you know, maybe we can trailer another one, but that's always a risk. You know, for security reasons when you're doing quite a long bit of traveling, you know, we, we hit it. What's the hard. average hourly drive time? Um, you could, Ukraine, Ukraine. You can be at the border in the Ukraine for 10 or 12 hours to get through a border control. Just to go to the, just, across the border. Just yeah. to get across the border. Yeah. It's, and and now the Brexit thing as well is, is that brings us, you know, another issue which is another political issue that we've been talking about, battery-powered vehicles and other things. I'm sure you don't want a political show. but No, no, not but, at all. You know, the political issues of being able to travel and moving goods, yeah, which are deemed personal or whatever, it brings another issue. So it's harder to do it, but we still, you know, the guys didn't really mean you know, they've we've done the sand championships as well out in Europe in, in which runs in France. So there's a terrific amount of very, very good racing going on out in Europe now. Um and, you know, it's it's it's, it's interesting because as good as as good as you guys will do here, you don't just do a beach race, you know, we do beach races that are for two and a half hours and three hours, you know, in, in deep, deep, deep sand and the bulls are saying how um you know they they enjoy that, and to be multi-disciplined is is very good for these. And the strength is is paramount. Fitness and strength is paramount. How does Harry match up to some of the best sand guys? We he's there, he's there. I mean, we in the championship. He was you know pulling always pulling top ten results in 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 the sand against the likes of forestier and and the french and you know Warnier is absolutely superb as you know you know he's won a, he's won a championship in works yeah. over here he's won uh the race they had in canada yeah you know but no harry, harry holds his own very very well in both disciplines one of the questions you asked earlier was regarding like manufacturers coming back into it. Would that increase the numbers in the sport? One of the, the I think, the biggest problem for the sport, in, especially in the UK and, and Europe, it, it's not the cost of the bikes or the running of the bikes. I think that's pretty much across the board still is what it was. It's It's the cost of actually getting to the races the cost of fuel, the cost of travel. And I think that's what hurts a lot of racing now is, is that traveling cost. Yeah, because I know that there are riders um, here that won't travel to some of the long distance races because of the cost. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's easy to travel in the States. Yeah, yeah there's no border check, there's nothing, you just drive. Yeah. You know. I was set to do the the ATV Nationals over here with James Halliwell. And, um, that was because it was going to be cheaper to do with the Nationals than what it was to do the Europeans because of the cost of travel. Um, you're traveling with a, a camp that's looks thirsty. Um, you've got ferries involved. And I mean, what one of our European rounds was in Portugal one weekend and then the following weekend it was in Latvia Well, you just couldn't get two further places apart in Europe Um, and and the drive would have taken more than a week to get there it would have taken a week to get there yeah you wouldn't have had much time in between wow is that just bad scheduling that's just people that just don't they'd step on a plane and step off a plane they don't look at <laughs> the, uh, the logistics, yeah, the promoters aren't doing their job. And, uh, not at all. Wow, um, what you yeah, do they it? still do that kind of stuff? with stack them like that. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah, they've done it. Yeah, if you look if you look at the European the, the schedules that they've got, these things, they've got you know, one or two that are back to back, well, or they're two that should be back to back, but they're two weeks apart. So you could stay out there for ten days and you get two races in, but, but they 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 they've not split them incredibly well. In all fairness, the sidecar boys, and which is being in Europe, and, and that's what's drawing the crowds, which is great. But unfortunately, the, the, the sidecar guys seem to get some kind of assistance somehow, whether, whether you know they're backing, their team backing, or whatever. But they got a terrific, terrific entourage of spectators and and you know friends, family, and support and it works well for them. But, but subsequently, the way that they piece it together, they're, they're better to be able to hang on and stay out there for a bit longer than we are. You've got three got, Europeans there on the consecutive weekends. Yeah. And that's just, and how much drive time is there? Um, not That's not so bad, but it means that you're away for three weeks. Yeah, you can't do that, if, especially if they have a job. Yeah, yeah. And well, what yeah. you've got to remember about the Europeans is there's no prize money. No prize money at all. No. There is for sidecars. You get you pay the same amount of money. Most likely, you you pay out the same amount of money, but you, but you don't get. Any. Fortunately for the Europeans, respectfully, I don't think we've ever. You don't pay to go and do the I money. Mean, one meeting we actually contributed um, in so Croatia, here, Croatia. We contributed like, but it's a hundred euros. And and purely, if you see it, you know it's 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 you. It's twenty. Some guys, you know, if they don't qualify, but ultimately it's kind of a twenty to twenty-five team. Circus, you know, that's going around and doing it. But yeah, we've only ever paid the one for No prize money. That's incredible. See, the sidecars run under FIM, and the quads are under run under the EMX in it. Yeah, and EMX don't believe in prize money, but they, they normally give you a free entry. Whereas the sidecars, they get good money, they get a start. If you qualify, you get start money. And then, if you're in the, if you're qualified, then you do get prize money right the way down to the last position. And there's no way to change it and get the FIM to it's take it over? It's relative to the spectators. Well, they don't even give you a chance to have a spectator base, you know, because no. they're not, because they're not allowing you to grow enough to to generate income. Yeah. But one of the other reasons why we run the quads at the sidecar events to grade the track. <laughs> it's the sidecars like dig some serious and I mean serious holes that like you could stand in you could stand in them ruts up to your waist. you might have seen it in Denmark at the Quad of Nations, how deep the, the ruts get. Yeah. Um so it's large quads there it helps you keep the track rated it's, it smooths in the big old holes yeah. mm-hmm. wow that's just horrible it, well it, anywhere you race an ATV I know you go get third place in the car and you think you're going to get a check yeah you know you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and you get 400 bucks yeah yeah <laughs> wow I got a trophy. of 400 bucks. <laughs> there's not even enough to pay the air, air, airfare home. You want the mail for the crew? Yeah. You know, when I did it in 09 with Raphael Sonic, and he goes, hey, I'm going to give you the prize money. And I'm thinking, all right, this is awesome. Oh, <laughs> man, this is, wow, that's great. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, is it thousands or what? It's 400 bucks. I was like, I was still grateful for the $400, but yeah. I was a little disappointed in them. I knew how much money was spent to go do that race. And I was just like, damn, that's just ridiculous. You know, but what about the favorite spectator in, in, the, in the duck out? Yeah. You can, you can't go to another sporting event that I've ever been to that has a spectator base like that. I mean, I don't know if it's like that in Saudi Arabia. This is the spectators are on the track side or anything like that. There's spectators at the side of the road traveling to and from the stages, isn't it? Mm. Because they're not, it's just a, that big of an area that they mm. can't get in there to, to physically spectate. Well, yeah, because they don't let you know where the course is going, basically. Um, we got to see the riders come through. Um, a couple of times where you just happened to just stop on the side of the road and, and catch a guy go by. Uh, and then you realized that the, the riders were coming and, and you'd stop and watch for a minute. Unless well, you're mechanic in for a guy who flies a helicopter and flies the route. Well, who did that? Rafael. Really? You guys got to fly a helicopter? He, he, no, I never. But prior to the event... He uh. flew some of the some of the stages up the uh-huh. mule, and then it was clever because you weren't allowed to ride them or drive them or walk them, but you could fly them. So he flew them. <laughs> I know that he would go to portions of Argentina and ride, um, just to ride, and then it would turn out that. that portion of that of would be in the race, you know, so he was set to ride it already. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, but, I mean, just, just still think about the amount of money you've got to spend to do that. Mm. <sighs> Crazy amount. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Well, originally, when Stuart was on about it, myself and Will Van der Lamp were, were lined up to do the Dakar as teammates. And it was going to cost thirty thousand dollars a rider entry fee. That's just the entry fee. That's not travel. That's not that. That would include um, one mechanic traveling um, to each stage. But that was when it was across the Sahara. I mean, I know that my entry fee was ten grand yeah and I didn't race, I was just a, I was just there, yeah, yeah, so you have medical cover and yep you know food. insurances and yep. repatriation and yeah, and they did you know they feed you, they yeah. you. the showers were a joke, but yeah. you know some of the food was too but put some- <laughs> you know, if you were a big guy like Richard, you really <laughs> suffered. Because there was just no, there was not enough food. This, this is true. That's right. You lost, you lost, I lost weight. Well, I went to the doctor. and I thought, this is a way of losing some weight. And you know what, right? The food was chronic. And well, I never lost a pound. <laughs> I did. I came back. I came back. I lost about 25 pounds. It was unbelievable. But I got, I got sick when I was there too. So it's, you just, you just keep working. You know, you do. You you're up early in the morning. You ride in the vehicle that you're assigned for eight, twelve hours. You get to the bivouac and you wait for your rider. So you either eat, shower, and be ready, or maybe take a nap because when he gets there, it's, it's game on. You're you're working to prep the machine, and it's a it, it's just like prepping for the Baja 500, and you only have. You know, you could have eight hours. You could have three hours. Mm-hmm. Them them riders can leave at three o'clock in the morning to to start the liaison to start them. They might have like 150 mile to ride by road to get to the start of the stage. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, when when you're traveling in the truck or the service vehicle, you you're restricted to 50 mile an hour. And there's a what we call a trippy inside, isn't there? And if you you get to that, it starts sounding. And and when you get to the, the bivouac, there can when you enter the thing, they can tell you if you wrote the speed limit, and where out for how long. And if if you get three warnings, then you you're out. I got I got in trouble. <laughs> The first year I got in trouble because I didn't care yeah. what's that noise and slow down, you know. <laughs> Oops, sorry, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I just was, I'm gonna hurry, I gotta get there. You know, what, what are you guys doing? Because when you chase over here in Baja, or you chase it best in the desert, you have to abide by, well, in in, in when you're in Nevada, you have to abide by the speed limit but there's really no speed limit at all. You know, I mean, the, there is, but... The reason this was brought in, though, right, that it was because it ended up being two races at the Dakar. There was the official Dakar race of the competitors, and then there was the service barge race between the, the service crews, and there was that many accidents that... This is why they put the trippies in. Well, right. Because they, I was told, and I don't know what truth there was to it, that there was like a prize for being the first crew. Official. Yeah. (laughs) And and you could, uh, I don't know what truth there was to it because nobody ever officially talked about it, but it's pretty cool stuff. You know, I'd probably go back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd have to think about it, but it, it was—it's it, well, huge. I want to go to. I wouldn't mind going to Saudi Arabia. I mean, that would be pretty mm-hmm. cool just to check it out. I mean, we we talked um about it. Well, you were out there where we've, we've seen each other on the duck out. Yeah, I was there. Uh, I was there in nine, eleven, and thirteen. And we, we both said that when you finish it, you say never again. Mm-hmm. Well, then a few months later, you, you start to think, you do that every day. May have upon the Pondervoo in the last 20, 20 visits, yeah. Yeah, and then you go back and do you it, keep again. Doing it again. Yes. Yeah, it was 13 that I seen you there. Yeah. Yeah. I was with the, uh, an Argentinian team, and you guys were with Sonic, right? Yeah. Me and Yep. I think that he had spoken to me about going with him, but I had already committed to the other guy because Raphael was notorious for the last second com. yeah there you go hey you want to go when Small. Wow. whoa wait a minute you know a little planning would have been nice but I mean you, you've been there and you like the little white dots on everything don't you yeah <laughs> it was funny well everybody's got their own way of doing yeah, it yeah I mean great Great people, great atmosphere, great time. and I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I've been blessed. I've got to do an amazing amount of things like you guys have and and meet people like you're such as yourselves to, to you know, when you get to tell people that you have friends in the UK or you have friends in, in other portions of the country and go, how'd oh, you meet them? Well, we did this together. We did that together. What's that? You know, I mean, nobody understands what it is. Racing an at ATV. Um, one last story for us, and you get to tell it, Stuart. It, my dad's favorite year, I believe, was 1996 when the team went over there and dominated in Pond de Vaux. And Give a little bit of backstory if you can remember that. <laughs> Richard might be even better to put it together, really, because you, he was... Were, you were involved in the ninety-six. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was on the second-place team. And you uh, were in the third place? No, then? I wasn't. We had four teams that year. Really? Yeah, we had four teams that year. I got a picture of it. And I'm trying to think. Didn't you get fifth then? Uh, yeah, fifth or sixth. There was four bikes. Yeah, but one, two, three came on. One, two, three. Yeah. Doug and Paul, would it have been in 96? I'm not sure. If I just you, know it was you with Clitoro and Wildman. No. no? And uh, you were the Yanks. Two Yanks. Two again. Aaron Duggan? Yeah. yeah. Uh uh-huh. and um, it could have been Wildman. Wildman, was it? And there was another guy who bought a ride. Johnny Johnny Simmons. <laughs> no, it wasn't Johnny. Who rode the third place bike? <laughs> it's Cleveland not in that, that not really was in that? Wasn't it No, old v- no. No. no, that was they were in our team. No, I was just one bike myself. Number fifteen bike. You had the number one bike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh Bum two. Joel was on Yeah, yeah. It was me, Bob Two and Dugan. Wow. he was a good rider. You know. He he was very inspirational in that whole race, I think, actually. You know, Over the years, and still is with Yamaha now, isn't he? he's still an employee of Yamaha Yamaha now. He was Mister Yamaha back then, and still is. I got to I got to work on one of his bikes. Yeah, at Mickey's. Okay, briefly, but I didn't even know who he was. But it was one of those morph bikes where they put a 250 in a Banshee chassis. Yeah, and they put the rear end back together incorrectly. I didn't have enough time to fix it correct. But he got to finish, you know, he got to ride. But I mean, it was all I could do to get the chain to adjust. He went on to be uh, World off- Offshore Jet Ski Champion. Well, when you see him on social media now, he's either in the water or in a UTV. Yeah. Boat or jet ski, he's like, I think, Marine Division or some. Oh, um, UTV. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak French, so I don't know what he's saying but uh, you know, I don't even know if he ever learned English do you know what I'm saying yeah see is, these are the amazing things that, that we get to talk about these people that um, have developed our industry in so many different ways I mean a lot of the Americans don't know you guys because they don't know some of the things that you've done and, and, and that's a shame because they could learn so many different dimensions by some of the things that you have done I think we understand, going back to what we said earlier about that language barrier, it, it didn't alter that respect barrier. Yeah. And I think that although you're competitive against each other, you're kind of respected certain things and you all picked something out of it which you now apply through generations of children and other things and you hope that they'll pass that on for that respect. And whether it was going back to... Will van der Land, the oldest guy that you met racing a quad, who had regular podiums at Pond back in the day, even if he his own quads on his own quads that he built from scratch, whether you chose to want to own one of those because it didn't fit your model or, or you know, but you, you take something from it. And we still see them now, the Europeans, because, you know, they, they come out to the Europeans if we're in Central Europe, like Holland or France, or Belgium, and we still regularly see them. And, you know, when the first time we met, like we just said earlier, was 30 years ago, plus in France. And that's where, where we kind of met everybody from Europe. And then obviously you guys then started to come over numerous, numerous friendships with your camp, but numerous other camps that have come over there and, and dominated or attempted to dominate the series, isn't it? You know, and it's great. You kind of, if you have that mutual respect, you keep that friendship. Well, we, we care more about. I think about four or five years ago now, to Wayne Meridian JP, um, for his 60th birthday party. And obviously, um, everybody was there from Corey Ellis to Tim Farr, Shane Hicks, um, Fitch, uh, Ian Fitch from New Zealand, uh Holmes, he was there, um, Wayne Henson, this, and it was like a, a, Mark um, Baldwin was a proper gathering of the old school right right and um, it was just and it it wasn't like we, we hadn't seen a lot of us hadn't seen each other for years but it was only like we'd only seen each other a week ago yes it's just it's seemed like meeting up with you we don't see each other for like a year or two years or something like that but it's only like we'd seen each other yesterday it's, it's I think when you've got proper friendship like that, that, that's how it is. To have a a true friend, you don't have to be in the back pocket every day. Right. Um, You can just... Exactly. And it's nice to be able to pick the phone up and ask a favour and help each other out along the line after racing, during racing, and years after. Exactly. Exactly. You know, at least when I call you, you answer. He never answers. (laughs) I think that's where his kids get it. That's where they get it from. Yeah, because you never answer. Ah, come on. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably on his (laughs) phone. (laughs) Probably. Every once in a while, I want to ask questions when you guys are racing, but I don't want to interfere with the focus. I don't know exactly what's going on. So I just wait and wait for the next uh, text set to come through. Yeah. Because my answer will generally, the end answer generally pops up. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to see what's going on with this or what's going on with that, you know, and see how they're doing. We're running the two of them is, uh, is quite a demanding job, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in 17, 18, and uh, 19, I had um, a Yamaha under my tent and a Honda. And, well, actually, two, uh, three Hondas and a Yamaha under my tent. And and I was taking care of all of them. And uh, yeah, that's way too much. You know, takes it out of you. You need to teach those boys how to use a wrench. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 inevitable education and elevation, you know, evolution for them to learn it. I mean, it's you have to um, because it's you're not getting any younger. I mean, yeah. That's one of the, <laughs> the big things is with when we were riding, you, you ruined what you had, whereas now the technology has, has stepped up so. I think the rider has got to be able to come back in and and give me a lot more feedback Um, as well as, I mean, I like to to go out there and spot, um, watching the lines that we are taking and other people are taking and seeing where there's an improvement to be made. Um, But that rider now, I mean, Harry's technical, very, very technical, Um, And I think that's that's been learned by coming to America because I've always said that the Americans have always been years, light years in front of us because they were much more professional on the setup than what they were using and to get the best out of their bikes now, I mean, Harry's at the level now, right, where you're not looking for a second, lap, or anything like that. You're starting to look for, like, Small amounts, right? And then small amounts have got to come from up because his riding is, is is spot on. And Harry, he's passing his knowledge on on the wild thing. Alfie's learning. Alfie's on a shortcut because he's not having to learn the hard way because he's 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 seen what Harry's doing and. Stewart's very, very technical anyway on bike prep and stuff like that. And he, he knows what he's on with. But if he's maintaining two bikes during the race and it's, it's nice that like the lads, if I'm there, I can give them some feedback. Right. Um, so you can take care of the bikes and you're... Yeah, going. yeah. I mean, we were all, I think we've all been there right where our, parents, our father's, turn on and say, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And I used to think, well, my dad can't even ride a quad or ride a motorbike, so what he really know? <laughs> so but if somebody else's father said to me or somebody else said, if somebody got a good line out there, then which which one? And uh, I don't know, it's just one of them things. I mean, I know the respect and that, but you don't know, always... Take a lot of notice of, of, of your, your parents. It, it's got to be hard for for Stuart to work with two boys, at, in in similar levels as as they're both rolling into the pro class, and and at some point they both could resent something he says during the day, and and it, it, it's not it, it's not the ideal situation, but at the end of the day, I think that listening to his boys. They may give him a little guff or may talk back a little bit, but for the most part I think they really respect him. Well, they, they, they do respect him and they make, like I mean like you say it's it's just one of them funny things that if you have a team ma- manager, you tend to listen to your team manager. Right. Because he's your boss. Yeah. Right. Whereas if it's your dad that's telling yeah. you you don't really You don't listen the same way. Uh, the same way. Yeah. You know like you've got more more lenient Right. Whereas well, if he was the team manager and they were just riders, yeah. they'd be snapping too, mm. you know, a little faster. I mean, you know. what we call it, I've, I've seen these two grow up from being in nappies and to seeing them turning at the riders that they are now. Perfect. And like the, the professional, they've got a professional attitude, a very professional image. Um, the responses, they're, they're, they're very good for the sponsors. Um, if I was still running the KTM team, they'd be on it because they do everything the right way. Um, whereas you get a lot of riders who don't appreciate what you do for them, what you give them or what they are in. Um, they just, the only time you hear from them is when you they want something. Um, and, and I think that, I think that most young riders or most people that are getting into the sport don't realize your sponsor is not your sugar daddy. Mm-hmm. You become a salesperson for that sponsor to sell their product because if yeah, they're not selling the product Yeah, if, if they're not selling the product you ain't racing because they ain't giving it to you. Yeah. Or they ain't selling it to you at a discount. More so in today's economy. Yeah. It's amazing they need it. They need the feedback. Yeah, because we're still developing product off of racers. Yeah, you know that's what it's always been. <laughs> you know, you, you built this this pipe or you build this this widget or whatever it is. You get you, your feedback. We're relying on. Yep. And you give the, that's what you do. You get the feedback back. You get a rider that doesn't give feedback. You go, hey, this guy over here pays for it, and he's giving me better feedback than you. Maybe you should pay for it, and I'm going to give it to him. You know he's number twelve, but you know he's still giving the better feedback. I mean, fortunately, Harry's a social butterfly, <laughs> so he's a sponsor's dream. Uh-huh. Right, he's out talking to everybody. Yeah, he talk- he has the time to talk. He takes the time to talk to people. He doesn't brush them off, and um, he's just a real approachable, approachable lad. And Harry's passed that on to his brother and there credit to, to work with and, and to be associated with. That's awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. Stuart, I want to thank you so much for bringing everybody over um, and and sitting down with me. I know that this late in the evening for you, you guys have had a, have had a long day and I've drug it out that probably longer than you would have liked. No, but, but I really appreciate you sitting down and, and talking with us. Um, and this is way better than a Zoom meeting. Uh, you know uh, I don't get to have face to face conversations very often richard It's always a pleasure to to talk with you um you're a little nicer when you calm down and maybe you're tired or maybe they' fed you I don't know but you you've you, you, you fed him and and he's a little calmer in his older age too. I really appreciate it. Put the check in the post <laughs> hey, you know what I'm gonna give you the same amount that I'm getting. Which nothing from nothing is still nothing. Yep. So you're welcome. Hey, and seven from seventeen makes ten. Exactly. <laughs> but we're not gonna well, we're not gonna tell Harry that because no. I don't I don't want him to twice in one night. Hey. I don't want him to get a headache. No. I know. He might have put chucks on it. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for, for coming down here and, and uh um I hope that you have a safe travels home. And if you need anything, you'll reach out immediately.
0: The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience. Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs. And Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs.